You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Priscilla Lopez, and this is the fabulous invalid. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, Broadway's podcast, where we present essential conversations with a curated roster of the best, most important, and innovative theater makers working today, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. We took our name from the title of a 1938 play by Kaufman and Hart that has since become a loving nickname for Broadway itself, always deemed on the verge of decline, yet always bouncing back, The Fabulous Invalid. I'm theater savant Jamie Dumont. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with Stage Left at NYC and my new podcast, Stage Left, the podcast, which you should also check out. Well, we're back at Orso, and we have an amazing guest for this episode. Well, yes. It's, I'm a little... um, Starstruck? I'm a little starstruck. Nervous? I'm I'm all those things. Who do we have on today, Rob? The one and only Priscilla Lopez. Morales. Uh, Deanna Morales. Deanna Morales. Uh. I almost and, said Diana. Ooh, Strike uh-oh. me dead. Uh oh. Wow. Um, and so many other iconic roles over the years. I mean, it's amazing. I, in preparation for this interview, I, I just went on uh, the Internet Broadway database, plugged her name in, and I was like, oh yeah. She, you know, I'd forgotten all the or, things that she's done over the years. Or things that, like, I had no idea that. Well, let's let's say what she did, shall yeah, we? Yeah. With a career that spans over five decades, five fifty years, Priscilla Lopez, beginning in the late '60s with shows like Breakfast at Tiffany's, which, huh. which is you know a famous very flop. famous flop, yeah. and Henry Sweet Henry, mm-hmm. and then in the '70s in musicals like Company, Pippin. Uh, Who knew she was in Pippin? Right? Did you right. know that? No, I I did not know. I that. learned that researching this. Yeah. Um, but also with Michael Bennett's landmark a chorus line, which course, everybody knows her for. Deanna and Morales. finally winning a Tony Award in 1980 for Tommy Toons, A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. She has also starred off-Broadway in Extremities, mm-hmm. which I did know because mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that show. Other People's Money, Anne in the Tropics, mm-hmm. and of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights. Right, right. And not to mention uh, Nine. She was a replacement in Nine, the original... I production left that of off nine. the list. Right, right. And is currently starring on Broadway in uh, Grand Horizons, the new Best Wall play. We love a Best Wall we play. We love a Best Wall play. It's the third one we've had in the last 12 months, and uh, I'm living for it. Um, and so, one we saw not that long ago. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're totally thrilled to be sitting down with her. I'm so delighted that she said yes, uh, and that we're going to get to talk to a legend. 
A true legend. A true legend. Yeah, yeah. Well, before um, we get to yeah. our guests, yeah. do you have anything on your mind? Well, I wanted to share a little experience that I had because I know one of the missions of this show is to um, examine all aspects of, of the theater, right? Um, I was at uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, uh, a couple weeks ago with my boss, Hillary Clinton. Um, and, you know, when I take her, I'm there as staff. So, you know, she sits, the show starts, and then I go usually and stand in the back. And I found myself standing next to the soundboard during the show. And it's a show I'd seen before a couple times. Um, and at some point during act two, no offense to the magic that was happening on stage, I found myself watching the soundboard operator. And I had never done that before. I don't know if you have, Jamie. I have, but I don't think in a way that made an impression yes, on me. Yes, I ended up being so enraptured by the artistry of this technician who is uh, flipping between the mics during a book scene, right? And there's a different button for each mic. And without referencing a script, without it seemed like even looking, she would press on and off the mics for a full scene between all these characters. And it was incredible. I was just completely mesmerized by it. And as I sat back from that experience, what it made me think of the fact that when you're watching a show on Broadway, when you're seeing a show, you know, live, the actors are so reliant on tens, dozens, perhaps maybe even a hundred people who you don't even see, who are making it all happen. The reason you could hear Adrian Warren in that scene is because the soundboard operator was turning on her mic. And when she wasn't speaking, turning it off and then turning it back on for the next line. And she knew exactly when to turn it off and exactly when to turn it on. The audience heard every single word. You never missed a beat. Um, and yet you have to have this trust and this faith that as a performer, that there's someone at a booth, you know, in the back of the theater who knows exactly when you're about to talk. Right, was, who isn't looking at Instagram or checking their right, texts. Right, right. No, it's just completely there live. You know, and it's just, it's, I was so struck by that and, and how incredible that is. I'm sure they don't think of this this way, but it sounds stressful to me. That feels like yeah. a big responsibility. Well, that's what I asked Peter Lawrence. I said, it must be very stressful. And he he rebutted that, no, it's not. You know, it's, it's, what, he does. it's what you do. You know, it's 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 thrilling. It's the the art of it all, right? Um, and and that too was something I was struck by. It's just how calmly this woman was operating the board. I would be a nervous wreck. But then again, it's not my job. I'm not a trained professional right. who's been doing because you don't start on Broadway. I'm sure she's been doing this for years and you build up to it and it's you know, it's a skill, it's an art, it's a science. Um, and you know what I would be terrible at and what would stress me out? What? Doing your job. Oh, well, See? sure, exactly. So it's all right, relative. right, right. Of course, of course. Um, but I just wanted to share that because I, it was such a beautiful you, moment. You, you kept that. I know, you I know. You saw that show a couple of weeks a ago. A couple of weeks ago, yeah. You've been, no, you've I've been, been thinking about you've it. You've been keeping this on yeah. the sly. I yeah. love it. Yeah, Well, because it's not just as simple as off and on, right? You don't just turn all the mics on and then turn them all off, right? Well, They're individually operated. Right, and you have four, five, ten, twelve yeah. people on stage. In a musical. Whatever you know, it yeah. is. Yeah. That's a lot. Is it just Was it just one operator? It was one person. Yeah. Wow. Now, I don't know who else is in the theater or in other places doing other things, but this was the one person I observed at the back of the theater. Well, kudos to that operator. Yes. Yes. Um, and shall we get to our conversation with oh, one of yeah, the yeah, yeah. I'm ready. greatest performers in Broadway history? Yeah. I, I think it's safe to say that Priscilla Lopez has inspired many, many, many people in her life. That's an understatement. 
A huge understatement. <laughs> okay, let's talk to her. Let's do it. I'm so excited because I'm going to go to the High School of Performing Arts. I mean, I was dying to be a serious actress. Anyway, it's the first day of acting class and we're in the auditorium and the teacher, Mr. Carp, puts us up on the stage with our legs around everybody, one in back of the other, and he says, okay, we're going to do improvisations. Now, you're on a bobsled and it's snowing out and it's cold. Okay, go. Hello, Hello, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us at Orso. I love Orso's. Yeah. I'm coming here on Wednesday. It's my husband's 70th birthday. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Let's see which table they're going to put us at. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Probably the good one right up at front <laughs> would be my guess. <laughs> well, we are thrilled to have you with us okay. uh, for this episode. Um, you're currently appearing in Bess Wall's play, Grand Horizons on Broadway. Absolutely. Um, what can you tell us about the show and your character, Carla, specifically? <laughs> well, the show is fabulous. <laughs> It's written so beautifully, and the wonderful surprise of it is that it appeals to, you know, children of all ages, except <laughs> real children. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't take, you know, a childhood, but it's an adult play that uh, it, either you're a mother, you're a son, you're a father, you're a brother, you're whatever, there's something in it, and it especially deals with the older generation, 55 and over, and it's, uh, um, it's one of the first plays that really talks about sexuality of older people, and the, the, the lead, uh, Jane Alexander's character, decides she wants a divorce, and she's hitting 80, so the children just totally freak out, and, you know, so the whole play is about why are you doing this and what's happening and and then I'm supposedly the other woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love being the other woman. <laughs> but um, the way she's described is um, not quite who she really is either. Mm. So she's a nice surprise. And there are just a lot of surprises in the show. Mm. You mean the way mm. the characters talk about her before, yes. before right. you come on stage. Right. Then you come on and you're actually not what they've set up. That's true. Yes. Well, that's I'm worse. I've, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hardly. <laughs> that's what I found to be one of the greatest uh, and most notable things about Bess Wall's writing is that it contains so many secrets in all yeah. of her plays that I've seen, and especially in, in this play. And you're, you're exactly right. The, car, the character of Carla, you know, she's set up to be one thing, and then you meet her at the beginning of Act Two, and she's not what you expected. Yeah. And, uh, and then what happens in relation to Jane Alexander's character, Nancy, you know, that's another surprise. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot of surprises and a lot of confessions and a lot of, a lot of everything. And it's really funny. <laughs> it is hysterical. <laughs> really you know, funny. I'm sitting back there because I had the whole first act to get ready. And right. I laugh every night. You know, certain things just you just always laugh. You know it's coming, you know what it sounds like, you know, and you just laugh. So that's a true test of something that's oh, yes. good. There's, there's one joke in particular that I will not uh, describe here, but I think you know exactly what I'm talking about, that everybody's been talking about. Because it's you so mean the funny. actual joke that the James yes, tells? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's too that good. is funny, good. yes. Um, well, it's interesting. So um, this is a play written by a female playwright mm -hmm. and directed by a female director, Lee mm -hmm. Silverman. Um, and when I saw that, it reminded me of something that Patti Lapone had said recently, which is that, you know, at this point in her career, all the shows she's done, that she's for the first time working with a female director in a musical. And like, how mind-blowing it is that you could make it this far in a career. You've had a career longer I've than had, Patti Lapone's. I've had a few female directors. Um, the Over first the one, oh God, what was her last name? She was, she directed Other People's Money. Mm. Gloria... And I can't remember her name, but I think she was probably the first one. And then there was um, 
Edmund Pippin, uh, Diane Paulus, mm, and right. um, uh, Rebecca Teichman in The Clean House, mm -hmm. and now uh, Lee Silverman, Lee Silverman oh, yeah, here in yeah. Grand Horizons. Do you find that working with a female director and a female writer changes the room, the experience? Of I think it does if you're a female. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's just a certain relaxation and an unspoken. Right. Um, Understanding, I think, you know, I mean, the first time I laid eyes on Bess Wall, she was in the ladies' bathroom pumping. She had just given birth to her third child. Yeah. And I mean, how much more female can you get? You right. Know? Right. So that was great. And it's just, I, I don't know. I know it sounds, you know, corny, but it's true. The sisterhood, you know, it's just like it's it's familiar. And we all are very familiar what it is to be women. So it's comfortable. Right. You know, and yeah. they're, you know, smart. <laughs> certainly are. <laughs> Two of the greatest people working in theater today. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I loved Bess working with both of them. Yeah. I loved Lee. She's very tough, but in the right way. She's very concise. She gives you one word to go, oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> and so it makes it easy. You don't have to think about, I just have to be that. Right. Or I have to think of that. You know, so it's it's kind of like a shorthand. Mm. I think the best thing she ever said to me, what she didn't want me to do, she said, uh, can we have a little less teabag acting? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, got it. Okay. You knew exactly what <laughs> yes, she meant. exactly. That's fantastic. Wow, if a male director had said that, it would be a little different, wouldn't it? It depends who it is. Yeah, or how you it's know, said, right? Or how like, it's how, said. How, yeah. I mean, I had... Many male directors that I absolutely love and cherish and adore, Michael Greif being one of them. Yeah. I just love him. Yeah. Uh, I worked with, uh, who was the other one? Well, <laughs> Michael Bennett. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll get to him. Yeah, we'll get, get to him. him. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy Kale. Tommy Kale. Another great yes. director. Yes. I mean, so, you know, I've, I've had a, a spectrum of yes. choices. And yes. I can't, I'm trying to think if there was ever someone, oh, we won't talk about that. <laughs> so I won't have to call you up. <laughs> right. <laughs> we won't have to edit it if yeah, you don't say it. Saves us the trouble, right? <laughs> well, Still makes my eyeballs <laughs> uh -oh. spin. Well, going back a few years to your first show, which was the ill-fated Breakfast, Breakfast at, at Tiffany's. Tiffany's. The first poster up at Drew Allen's. Oh. It was. Yes. You know, I don't think I knew that. Yes. That's the, the show that started it all. Yes. Well, okay, so for, for <laughs> anybody out there who's listening that doesn't know, it was obviously based on the Truman Capote short story and the film. It starred Mary Tyler Moore and Richard Chamberlain, produced by the legendary David Merrick. Yes. And he pulled, the very famously, pulled the plug before you even opened. Two previews. Two, two oh. previews. Oh, I, I, that I didn't know. Two previews. So what, what happened? Do you, what, can you tell us what went wrong? Well, you see, this is my first Broadway show, and I was all of 18 years old, right. and I was like, Wow. So I thought it was the greatest thing ever, <laughs> you know. And But now, thinking back on it, it wasn't that bad. You know, I've, I've been... It wasn't that bad. No. So I've listened to it. You know, there's a there's a yes, bootleg yes. recording. Yes. It's quite charming. Party it's long. people. It's long. Oh, and I... You know what I used to do? Right after, because it was a big flop and it was... A, so I after that, I'd go to auditions and acapella sing, Breakfast at Tiffany's, breakfast... And they'd all go, oh, you know, like trying to get the scoop. Right. I'd given the scoop, but I didn't get the job. Thank you very much, everyone. But, uh, <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it had a lot of great stuff in it, but I don't know. I don't know what one it, I think there was a thing of 
you know, people were after the whole thing because it was two television stars, Richard Chamberlain. I mean, even the, some of the reviews out of town were, well, Dr. Kildare has no cure for this one, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> so it's just like, what? You know, it was just, uh, what's the word, um, you know, picked on mm. and um, sang- singled out, I think. I don't know. It was not that bad. And the choreography by Michael Kidd was wonderful. He's very physical, and he had all this great stuff, and and it had some good songs, you know. How did you get cast in the show? Was it just an open call that you showed up to? You were 18 years old. Well, I had just gotten in the union. Uh, that summer, I got my equity card, and that was my first union audition. Wow. But I had been auditioned for five years before that. I mean, I started picking up uh, showbiz and backstage when I was 13 going, oh, here's a ton of... And I'd go to all these auditions thinking, oh, God, when I get this job, I'm going to have to quit school. What am I going to do? Well, I never got any of the jobs, but what I did get was learn how to audition. Mm. And I learned it's not a social event. They are not your friends here around you. They're your competition. Dress like this. Keep yourself quiet, focused. So I learned all that stuff. And when it was really the right time, when I could really get in there, I got it. So, And despite uh, the two performances of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Which I was not in, because by that time, they had fired, or they didn't fire, but they laid off, in a way, the whole chorus. Oh, my God. You're kidding. No, yeah, it was crazy. So you actually didn't perform and get the two performances. Not in New York, no. Luckily, the next season, you were cast in Henry Sweet Henry. Henry Sweet. Well, this is what happened. (laughs) Because Robert Merrill, who did the music for Breakfast at Tiffany's, said, you know, I'm working on this show. I think you'd be right for it. So, uh, you know, keep in touch. Here's my number. And so I thought, after that, I thought, oh, God, I'll never work again. So I auditioned for... uh, Ron Field had just won the Tony for Cabaret, so he was doing some sort of cabaret thing (laughs) down in Miami Beach, you know, and uh, so I auditioned for that and got it, but turns out he wasn't choreographing it at all. They just stamped his name on it, and there was this other guy named Michael Stewart (laughs) who was the choreographer, so um, I I was down there... (laughs) Working in this, it, it was a, once it was the Carillon Hotel on 69th Street and Collins Avenue. And once upon a time, it was this big tits and ass room, you know, <laughs> where you you're having your dinner, and then all of a sudden the showgirl comes out and goes womp, and you know this stops. She closes her her robe and everybody starts eating again. So. <laughs> I, but what happened was that they decided to change their image and make it a red, white, and blue review. So, you know, it was like, da-da-da-da-da, big flop. So they said, oh, my, oh, and in, in the meantime, myself and my roommate, another girl, we used to go up to the costume and try on all the showgirl costumes and go, ha, isn't this funny? We wound up wearing those costumes. Oh, you're kidding. It was like, so it was crazy. But anyway, so there I was down in Florida, and um, I get a call or somehow I found out, you know, that the auditions were happening. So when we were switching the show from the Red, White, and Blue review to the back to the Go-Go Girls, uh, we would had two shows. One was like at 9 and one was at 12. So after the 12 o'clock show, I jumped on a play. No, and then we had rehearsal all night long for the new show. Oh so gosh. we'd finish around 7 o'clock in the morning. 
hopped on a plane, came up, did the audition. First time I laid eyes on Michael Bennett, who was like, he, I, I had no clue who he was. He wasn't even Michael Bennett yet. And I just, there was just something about him who you just, he just grabbed you. He, there's, and I went, did my whole audition, da, 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 da. Then at the end of the audition, he said, well, how would you like to be the swing? I went, yeah. I didn't know what a swing was. <laughs> I imagine you sit on a swing. Literal. In your showgirl costume? <laughs> In the showgirl costume. And I said, sure. And then it turns out that I was the swing for all the little girls and all the adult women. And um, that was a trip. And that was quite a cast because I had to, I had yeah. to write some of these names down because I didn't even know this. I, I knew that it was Don Amici. I knew Bob Avian, who you would work right. with again shortly. Uh, Robert Finn. Fitch. Oh, Fitch, yes. Fitch from Annie yes. fame. Carol Bruce, Alice Platon, who won a Tony, Tony. Award for that performance, Did she right? Win it? Or was uh, she nominated? She was nominated. I'm not sure if she won. <laughs> she but she may was, not have. Nobody that, steps on cats. <laughs> that, and what's the other one? Um, uh, Poor Little Person was Poor another. Poor Little Person. We did that on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. Are you in that number? Uh, yes, because I was the, the swing, right? And someone couldn't make it. <gasps> So I got to go on. Oh I got gosh. my little pigtails. <laughs> was that someone maybe Louise Lasser? No. Or uh, Bayork Lee? No. Or was it Pia Zadora? Pia's adorable. Uh, <laughs> that's what that's about. Yeah. Pia's adorable. And so she just, her mother changed it to Changed Pia's, it to, to Pia's Zadora. Zadora. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, it wasn't any of those. It was, uh, what was her name? Little brunette. Um, oh, I can't remember. I see. It was quite her. a company, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, Woody Allen would be in the state in the in the alleyway because it was at the Palace Theater waiting for Louise Lasser. Oh, because were they dating? I think so. Yeah. Wow. Oh gosh. That's crazy. All right. So, but this is your first show with Michael Bennett. Yes. And what was that experience like working with him for the first time? It was great. I had such a good time. You know, what was great about it is I would walk in and just be nobody sometimes, and then I'd go and do the big dance number, you know? So it was great, or just do something else. I had a really good time in that show, and I, Bob Avian was the dance captain. I used to drive him insane because <laughs> I was so bad. I, you know, I like to play. I like to have a good time. You know, you're doing your show that the people see, and then there's the show that nobody sees. Right. <laughs> you know, so one day we were had the... Where people watching people and was all this choreographed stuff, and and then every time the music would stop, we'd have to freeze. So and I was at a hot dog stand, and he was the hot dog guy, and so I filled up this water bottle. So we went people watching people freeze, squeeze the water right in his face. He said, "Yeah." So he, he was. I was just so bad. But I had a good time. <laughs> but he loved it, I have to assume. He did, yeah. he did, he did. And he said, yeah, I'm taking you out of this number. And then I'm taking you out of this number, but the next night I'd be on dancing the main thing because the girl's out. Right. Well, a couple years later, you had the rather unenviable task, I can imagine, of replacing Donna McKechnie in Company, dancing the, the famous show-stopping TikTok yes. uh, as the role of Kathy. Because um, I hadn't seen Michael Bennett. That was crazy because I had... After my third show, which was a Henry, uh, no, her first Roman. That's right. And I said, there's got to be something better than this. <laughs> because I, you know, you rehearse eight weeks in town and then right. you go out for four, or four weeks in town, four weeks in da, 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 four weeks in town, come back, flop. 
you know, I did a Broadway show every year. Right. After. I mean, there were so many shows. You could audition for four and five shows a week. There was another show, The Boyfriend went out of town with that. Uh, it was funny because I, I inherited Sandy Duncan's costumes, you know, from the Broadway show. Because I did the last two weeks in New York, and then we went on tour. So I inherited her costume, and she had this hat, and inside it said, The Texas Grasshopper. So I took on my magic marker, crossed it out, and I said, the Puerto Rican cockroach. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, that was that. But I hadn't seen Michael Bennett like in three years. Mm. And when I came back, and uh, he was auditioning for Follies. So, Eddie Strauss, do you remember Eddie Strauss? No, he was a wonderful pianist, and he was always my, uh, we actually started out on the road together in Mm -hmm. your own thing, and then he, he was a brilliant pianist, audition person. He was kind of like a Seth Rudetsky, mm-hmm. not as verbal, but in the same yeah. kind of space. And so um, I said, Eddie, I'm going to audition for Follies. And I just, okay. I said, I want to sing uh, War Babies from the Me Nobody Knows. Do you know that song? I do. They saw him again last night down by the railroad. I mean, it's a horrible song. No, it's a great song. But it was, <laughs> he says, you can't sing that for Follies. I said, I'm not auditioning for Follies. I'm not auditioning for Hal Prince. I'm auditioning for Michael Bennett. Mm. I said, because the last time he saw me, I was ensemble. I actually said chorus girl, because that's what I was back then. Now you're an ensemble. But <laughs> and I said, I want to show him what I can do. And that's how I got company. What was that voice in your head that said audition for Michael Bennett? Because it would seem like how Prince was sort of the bigger deal at that moment. No, it was all Michael? No, I hadn't had any... Any interaction? Yeah. So Michael Bennett was my... Like I said, the moment I laid eyes on him, it was like, whoa. And he did that to everybody. And Donna McKechnie had me terrified, thinking that, um, she said, oh, you know, when you get up there, because the stage was black, mm-hmm. and shiny or whatever, lights go down, go up in the elevator. And so I thought, she said, you can't see anything when you're up there. I said, really? You can't see anything. And so I go on one matinee, and I'm going, and so I get up there, and I'm looking around, and I said, what is she talking about? I can see. I could see everything. What is she talking about? I kept waiting not to be able to see, but I could see. So uh, (laughs) that was it. But that was a killer. Yeah. That That number was a killer. That number. But it was fabulous. Yeah. It was so fabulous. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, you did get uh, a principal singing and dancing role with Fistrata in Pippin. Yes, I did. Another, another re- replacement uh, job. Um, how did that come about? Because this well, was now working for Bob Fosse, right? Which, well, what happened was that um, I was doing a cabaret thing. I... Uh, uh, it used to be on 52nd Street. Was Birdland? It Johnny's. Oh. No, it was uh, oh, it was some man's name. Ooh. And it was a, you know, it was when you used to go to bars and get people, pick up people those that time. <laughs> so it was kind of like 72-ish in there. And um, so I was doing this review. At, it was called What's a Nice Country Like Do? Doing an Estate Like This, written by Carrie Hoffman and Ira Gassman. And it was a political review. And it was the first time I really got some attention. Uh, so Leland Palmer had mm-hmm. come to see the play and because she was in Pippin. She right. was doing the original. Yeah. So she said, you know, I'm going to be leaving. You should audition for this part. I went, oh, okay. And I don't know how I got there, but she told me about it and I said, okay. So then um, what happened was that the hairdresser from her first Roman, who had a thing for me, not that anything ever happened, but he was working on Pippin. And so he actually got me Leland's wig oh. to wear to the audition. <laughs> That's amazing. Or one of her wigs. Yeah. Sent me to NBC where he had a friend in um, makeup trying to make me look... I mean, I was, I was only... What year was that? I had just been married. It was the first show I got after I got married. So I got married when I was 22. So I had just turned 23. Wow. You know, and so I went to see the show and I saw what it was. And I said, okay, I don't know the career. I'll make up my own choreography. But I sang the song and I was the only one who could really belt the whole thing. I didn't go, oh, ah. <laughs> but um, so, and I practice in front of my mirror forever and ever. I didn't go as myself because I said, that's not going to, I can never go as myself. I'm happy and that I am a character actress. <laughs> that's what I am and most comfortable in. I find it very hard to just be a person, <laughs> you know, like a normal person. But um, so I actually wore this big wig and I wore this, uh, you know, kind of a Roman toga kind of thing that was slit. And I did, I sang the whole song and did my own choreography. And this is one of my favorite things of my life. Bob Fosse was at the back of the house. This is when you auditioned on stage like right. a person instead of... So he was in the back of the house. He comes running down. He slams his hands on the stage and he says, now that's what I call a well-prepared audition. And I went... So then he got up on the stage. He said, do this. And he started doing bumps and grinds. And I do the whole thing. And then I didn't hear for three days. And I went, I guess I didn't get it. But I did. Did the wig help? Probably. You were prepared. Probably. Probably. <laughs> wow. Now, did, did he come back to set you into the show, or did you work again with, no, with a dance I, captain for that? the dance captain, Kathy yeah. Doby. Yeah. 
and um, yeah, did that. And the crazy part is that John Rubenstein was Pippin. Ben Vereen, who was we were classmates together, was the uh, leading player. Leading player. Mm-hmm. And myself. Okay, so now fast forward 42 years, Pippin on the road. A uh, Pippin, this other Pippin, mm-hmm. with the trapeze. Right. <laughs> uh, now John is the king, and I'm the granny. <laughs> and it was like, it was amazing. And yeah. I love John Rubenstein forever and ever. Amen. Because he's from my time. And there is definitely sometimes a different mindset about stuff. You know, and God bless him. Never for a second uh, marked anything. Never came down from this level. He never did a show here or here. He did it here. Every time. Every time. Every time. I mean, and I just love that. And he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. <laughs> that always helps, doesn't it? He's a nice guy. Cute, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Um, I can still picture him in that mesh shirt ah, with that curly right. hair. I'm saying. And those, and those yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, when the mics are off, we'll, exactly, we'll, exactly. we'll, we'll go further. Um, so before we leave Pippin, I just want to ask, is there a, there's a perception, I think, in the world that... Um, there was a rivalry between the Fosse School of, of Theater and Michael Bennett's sort of school of it theater. It wasn't a rivalry. It was camps. You know, you just had your choreographer who always hired you and you worked for it. It wasn't a rivalry. Right. I, not that I thought it that way, because we in the workshop had a lot of people who wound up in um, that show that's still running. Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. And so, and their stories are in a chorus line. Mm-hmm. But they, when Chicago happened, and he went like this, gotta go to my guru, you know, mm. because that they were Fosse dancers. Right. It's, it's it's like you know the Oscars. Everybody says I love all my uh, all the other contenders. I just love you. And there's a truth to that. But, right. But you're in competition. It's a business. It's right. a whatever. And yeah. But you respect the people. You respect their work. And I don't think that's true because I can remember being in Michael Bennett's apartment with Tommy Toon and, you know, a bunch of other people during um, Hollywood Ukraine. Mm. So it's Michael Bennett's apartment. with right. you know, so Yeah. I never felt that either. Yeah. Did I know every single second that went on with everybody? No. no. But that was not my impression. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was just... Good. Mm. Well, you just mentioned or alluded to the the very famous workshops of a chorus line, and I understand you were there for the first uh, taping session that Michael Bennett held on January twelfth, nineteen seventy four. Uh, what do you remember from that night? It was the greatest thing ever. It was like I got a call from Tony Stevens. Hey, you know, a bunch of us dancers, we're getting together to see maybe we can form like a you know, a, a, a repertory company and make work for ourselves because not any work happening. And, you know, and, and you're someone who started as a dancer and you've done more things and, you know, we want to do that whole thing. And and uh, would you like to be come and just see what happens? We're meeting that night on 23rd Street above Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and uh, would you like to come? I said, sure. He said, oh, by the way, Michael will be there. I went, Michael Bennett. <laughs> I'll be there. (laughs) That's all you needed, right? (laughs) So then we get there. I'm doing Pippin at the time. Mm -hmm. That's what I was doing. So I don't tell anybody that I got this call because, you know, you just do your thing or whatever happens, and I don't know what's going on. When I get there, everybody from Pippin's there. All these, I was like, what the? You got the call too? You got the call too? And so suddenly, you know, it's like, hmm, what's going on here? 
we all go into this dance, you know, and we start just doing what we do, dance. We warm up, we dance. We, and then all of a sudden, Michael walks in with Don McKechnie and his fur and his... What the hell is going on here? And so, and you didn't know if it was an audition, what it was. You just didn't know what was happening. We finished that. We move into another room. And um, we have wine. We have a little... And then we sit down. And what happened in that room that night is what you see on stage for a chorus line. The way we were sitting, the way we wound up on line, I was at the end of the line on stage, I was at the end of that circle, and then wow. it was Donna and Michael. So it was like, that's really what was a chorus line. Mm. And all those questions, and uh, even what Zach says, you know, uh, what Michael said, because I don't know, the, you'd think I'd know the dialogue, but what Michael said was, I think the dancers have a story to tell. And he said, I, I'm going to ask you some questions. He said, uh, you don't have to answer anything you don't want to say. But whatever you do say, just be honest. And so he was always, he'd ask a question, and he was the first one who would answer it. He said, and you can talk as long or as little as you want. So the first question was, what is your name, your real name, and where are you from? And we ran around. And all those jokes. Hi, my name is Judy Turner. My real name is Lana Turner. You know, but it, it was, it was really Trish Garland. My real name is Judy Garland. <laughs> so all that stuff, everything, mm. was that night. Kiss today goodbye. The sweetness and the sorrow. Wish me luck the same to you But I can't regret what I did for love What I did for love But what happened, it really was a superfied therapy session mm. that's what it turned out to be suddenly you're just like and saying all these things because you ask a question and you start telling these stories and what happened and and everything that's in a chorus line is true it's someone's story along the way I gratefully got to tell my story you know Kelly got to tell her story uh, Wayne Salento got to tell his story Tommy Walsh told his story Pam Blair told her story. Donna McKechnie, it was part of her story. She had other things put in there. Renee Bauman, I really couldn't sing. I couldn't sing. She was such a mess. But she said, she said stuff that I said. The story she tells about a man came around to my house selling dancing lessons, put me up against the television set, spun me around, pick up my necktie. This little girl's going to be a star. That was something I said. I said... Which, uh, the thing about a long and narrow stairway, mm -hmm. up the steep and very narrow stairway. So all that stuff that is in Chorus Line came from here, all our mouths. Was there any any rhyme or reason why you got to tell your story versus you telling someone else's? a great story. Right. <laughs> no, you know who's responsible for that story? Ed Kleban. 
That story captured his imagination, and he wanted to tell that story. Because before that, the music, all that was for another song of another story I had told. And it dealt with how I feel when I'm on stage. And I told this whole story. I said, when I'm on stage, I feel like... I feel like this balloon is being blown up and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And and then when it can't get any bigger, it goes, you know, that sort of thing. So this was a whole song about, but Ed Kleban wanted the other story. He wanted to talk about the High School of Performing Arts. Well, he went to music and art, so maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, he could relate. (laughs) Did you, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Morales is an, an early principal character of a Latinx woman who is not a gang member's girlfriend, not a prostitute, oh God, who's just really? a woman living her life. I had no idea. Well, I think you might have a little idea, <laughs> but I'm assuming there was, you, you felt a certain responsibility. It, no, with, I felt that no came responsibility with because I wasn't proving anything. I was just being me. Just being you. Now, that's what's so crazy about this, that just being me and trying to make a living in this business, from that moment... To 25 or more years later, realizing what Deanna Morales has meant, not only to the general population, but especially the Latino, I won't give up Latino, I have to say Latino, (laughs) the Latino community has astounded me. First day rehearsal for um, In the Heights, Mandy Gonzalez, I love Mandy Gonzalez, she's my adopted heart daughter. I have my own daughter, but she's also my daughter. I just care so much for her. I've never met such a pure spirit. She's a good, good lady. Okay, so Mandy Gonzalez down at 37 Arts. She's literally jumping over the seats of the in the audience. And she looks like, you know, like a big floppy dog. Her hair is like... And she's literally going like this over all the seats and she comes up to me and I don't know she's I'm so happy we're working together I said oh me too I'm happy too and she says and I don't know if it was that moment but I will tell the story that way she said when I saw the that Z at the end of your name I knew I could make it and that was the first indication I went oh oh okay wow I didn't know. I didn't have any idea. I'm just trying to do my thing, you know, make right. a living, work, get a job. And then eventually you move into, you know, your marriage, you have kids, you get, I really need this job. You know, just trying to stay afloat. vital, yeah. afloat, yeah. whatever, and, and not realizing at all. So that's the Latino end of it. The other one, other people said, that was the first show I ever saw when I came to New York, and I knew I had to do this. Thank you so very much. You know, all those stories, I remember it so clearly because it's it was a, par, a point in my life when my life started. I mean, all these different stories are going, wow, nothing could have paid off more than that. No amount of money. I mean, it would have been nice, but it's something you can't buy. It's right. something you cannot buy. And to have that space in theater history... I'm blessed. It's powerful. I'm more than blessed. And now, even more so, I'm going, it just, the thing about theater that's wonderful and horrible, and I'm really upset because now everything gets filmed. Anything that I am so 
thoroughly proud of. There's no record of it. There is no visual record of it. I mean, I have a couple of times uh, singing like nothing and what I did for love that were good, but not in the setting of the show. Even a day in Hollywood, nothing. I just, you know, it's just so it's very upsetting. But what I have learned that it's in people's imaginations. And they always make things bigger than they right. were. <laughs> so I said, as long as somebody's alive, right? I will be too. But when they go, it's all over. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. I remember very clearly um, watching you, I believe, on the Merv Griffin show. Oh. And when you sang Nothing. And, I, I, and the thing I remember about it was, A, it was, my, I think, my introduction to A Chorus Line. It, it began my obsession with the show. But I remember that you got bleeped. Right, because it was an app. Yeah, yeah. Um, My brother wouldn't let his kids, Matthew, listen to it because he said bullshit. I said, "Are you fucking kidding me?" (laughs) All you have to bleep that. We're explicit. We're explicit. explicit. Don't Don't worry. And everybody's going. I feel the snow. I feel the cold. I feel the air. And Mr. Carp turns to me and he says, "Okay, Morales, what did you feel?" And I said, nothing, I'm feeling nothing. And he says, nothing could get a girl transferred. They all felt something, but I felt nothing. Except the feeling that this bullshit was absurd. But I said to myself, hey, it's only the first week. Maybe it's genetic. They don't have bobsleds in San Juan. When we spoke to uh, Donna McKechnie, about A Course Line, she mentioned to us something that was very striking, I think, for both of us, which is that the process of developing the show in workshops and then at the Newman and then getting it to Broadway, as much as we all love the finished product, it was hard work to get there. And she said the first time around, you know, because she came back to the show in 1986, you know, it was hard. It was really hard. And it's something that people don't really ever think about. Do you, do you recall? Do you mean to have it formed? Yes. Yes, yes to, I can tell you how difficult it was. Yeah, yeah. We did a run through for Mr. Joe Pack, and the next day nothing was cut. <gasps> My God, you got nothing. I can't deal with you right now. I talked to Bob Avian. I went. <laughs> Dialing that rotary phone. <laughs> yeah. Look, look, don't be upset. You know, we're talking about the show, and it's just that we're going forward in the show, and we when we do nothing, it's going back in history. It's it's not following the timeline, and it's going back, and <laughs> and uh, so I just went, well, what about when Donna talks about, mm. you know, and what, because she does go back. She talks about being a child. Mm-hmm. My daddy and I'm going to live together. I said, so what's that? She's not going back in time, you know? <laughs> when I was young, I had, and, <laughs> and um <laughs> So eventually it did come back. I can't imagine a world where that song isn't in the show. I it's know, either can I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we have bad imaginations. Well, I think, that's what Donna, I think that's what Donna said is, though, yes. you, had, they, you had the opportunity to make all the mistakes, right? Which is... Which the movie put in. Yeah. Right. Well. <laughs> you want to know all the mistakes we had? They're all, all in the movie. in the film. After you left the show, do you recall the first time you ever saw it as an audience member? I think I've seen the show certainly twice. Not too many times. Yeah. 
Is it hard to, to watch? At first, it, well, you know what would happen? I'd watch it, and I'm not seeing what's on stage. Right. I'm hearing it, and I'm seeing all the original people doing what they did, and I see it as it was. I'm not seeing what's on the stage. Mm. And I think the first time I ever saw what was on stage, it was this bunch of kids up in uh, Mount Kisco something or other, and didn't have a clue what a chorus line was. Didn't have, <laughs> and they did the chorus line, and it was so refreshing because they weren't trying to imitate us because they had no idea what we were or anything. And it was so fresh and wonderful that I loved that production mm -hmm. of it because it was just like kids being real and taking it for what they it meant to them. Right. They didn't have any preconceived notion, and so they were pure. And it sounds like the person who was putting it on didn't have it either. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to believe, but yeah, right? I guess so. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, uh, it's wonderful. It really. The other day, my husband put it on because he said, "Oh, they said that this is a new. Um, oh, that this is a a new release of with you know different when they separate the sound." Oh. Mm -hmm. And he put it on. He said, "I don't hear any difference." I said, "Neither do I." <laughs> but but every once in a while, when I hear it, I go, "Oh my God, who's that baby? Mm -hmm. Who's that baby person?" It's just she's so, I'm so excited because I'm going to go to the high school of performing arts. I mean, she's up there. And now she's down here. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm going to nothing. The kids yelled, nothing. They called me nothing. And Carp allowed it, which really makes me burn. They were so helpful. They called me hopeless. else to turn and carp kept saying morales i think you should transfer to girls high you'll never be an actress never jesus christ is it hard to listen to recordings outside of of that experience of of other recordings that you've done i was always so and still am critical of myself so critical of how i looked how i sounded how it was terrible that just and I look back and I say, what the hell is wrong with you, Priscilla? You were beautiful. You were, your voice was great. You were so emotional, you know, and it's, but never. Always like, oh, I suck, I'm really terrible. So insecure, you know, and it's like, I look back and I go, girl, don't waste these last few, you know, enjoy it. Look in the mirror and say, yeah, that, that thing right there on your eye, well, who cares, you Next year, it's going to be down to here. You know? So, uh, uh, you know, just appreciate what it is now. And that's the whole thing that I think in, in maturing and getting older, realizing how we miss so much because we're not, we're not looking at it in a real kind of way. We're looking at it from such a negative point of view about ourselves. So now I'm at the moment of just giving thanks, you know, and saying thank you, thank you so much, and accepting whatever positive thing I've been in people's lives, you know? So. Well, which is, I think, I enormous. I, I think, you know, we've spoken a little bit about, uh, we've spoken a lot about the effect that A Chorus Line has had on generations, but also a, a show you did not that long ago, In the Heights, had a huge impact mm. on, and there's a film coming out, I think, sometime this year. And they me. I was just interviewed <laughs> by someone. And it was a great interview. And then at the end, and I'm sure he'll end the interview this way, he said, 
So um, how did it feel when you found out that you weren't in the movie? What did, how did you feel? And I took a pause because I hadn't even thought about it. I went, that showbiz. Mm. And I thought it couldn't have been a more perfect answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you that gave show- him his ending for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And if he doesn't take it, he's a schmuck. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it was perfect because that's the reality. Yeah. You know, and I go, yeah, it would have been nice. would have been great. Hey, I'm the movie. Yeah. That, it wasn't for me. It mm. wasn't supposed Whatever it is, it's fine. What I do like is that nobody else got to do it. Right. They killed her. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's definitive. Too good for Sella that they, they couldn't find anyone else. They just had to kill the character, right? Exactly. Well, why kill her? I think they killed her because they wanted the father to be the the focus of Nina's world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because usually it's mothers in the Latino family, but I'm not going to say any more about that. That's showbiz. <laughs> Well, in 1980, uh, you won a Tony Award for A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine. Uh, and that was, I believe, your first collaboration with to- uh, Tommy Toon, right? Or had, had you worked with him before yes. then? No, I had seen him. I was a big fan. I remember the first time I ever saw him was at the Village Gate, and he was doing his act. And I just was like, who is this Spider-Man? <laughs> I mean, because talk about the legs and the arms and the tapping. And I was just like mesmerized by him. I was just like, oh, my God. And so I spent a couple of years experiencing him just as a person. And, you know, if he did something, I'd go see him again or whatever. And then when Hollywood Ukraine came, it was like, whoa. That was that was something sent from God. I guess it's all sent from God, but that one was pretty obvious. Mm. Yeah. I was in L.A., and there was a um, – we had just bought a DVR because we couldn't, and it was this big, this big. <laughs> huge, huge. <laughs> a DVR, because we tried to get the tape from The Tonight Show, you know, mm. when I was on The Tonight Show, and they wouldn't give it to us. Too many clearances, you couldn't get this, you couldn't uh. get this. We're going to get a DVR, and if ever I'm doing so, we're going to tape it. Okay, so we got the DVR, and there just happened to be on that week a film festival of all the Marx Brothers movies. My husband taped them all. This is before... Anything. Wow. So, um, now I get an attack from, oh, New York, what am I doing in L.A.? So I get up and go to New York. I said, I'm out of here. I'll see you. So I go to New York. Tommy Toon lands in L.A. looking for me, and (laughs) my husband, Vincent, says, Tommy Toon is here, and he wants you to audition for his show. I go, what? So he said, but he's going back to New York. You could do it, you know, when you go back to New York. And he said, guess what the show's about? I said, he said, it's about the Marx Brothers. And he says, guess who he wants you to audition for? And I went, Margaret Dumont? He said, no. And then I thought, and then I said, Harpo? He said, yeah. Vicariously, you are flying down to Rio. And when I went, 
and I sang for Tommy Tune. I hadn't sung in like three years and feeling kind of... I said, okay, come back. And they gave me this, this assignment of do an improv, do a physical improv of anything you want. So I sat and I thought and I thought of this. So I did this thing about, you know, reading a book and suddenly a bee coming and bite, ow. And I did this whole thing. And I tried a few other things and I went, wait a minute, I'm auditioning for Harpo Marx. I'm going to be Harpo Marx. <laughs> so I went dressed, my father's pants, shoes, shirt, raincoat, hat. I went to a place on 14th Street that had this blonde wig up at the head wig up. I got the horn from Jonathan Tunick's horn. <laughs> you had Jonathan Tunick's horn? Just something he had. And so I went, <laughs> I went and I did all of Harpo's shtick. Yeah. Not shtick, his beautiful work. I did all his stuff. And I only chickened out on one thing. Because at the end of the audition, what I did was, I actually, you know, the pit goes like this. So I went to this side and jumped over the pit. <gasps> Ran up, and I didn't know who anybody was. Jumped in their laps in the audience. Took his tie and yanked his tie. And, <laughs> honk, 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 and ran away. Harpo would have taken the tie and cut it. Cut it. Mm. But I said, I don't know. Maybe his mother gave him that tie. Yeah, right. you know? so, <laughs> so, and that was it. Well, you were talking earlier about how um, working with John Rubenstein you know, you both sort of get it because you're from the same era when you started your careers. Um, as you look back over the transformation that you've observed on Broadway, what do you miss from the old days? What do you love about the present? And what do you hope for the future? I miss, well, it's probably, it still affects me to this day. I was, look, the union rules back then were, you don't take a vacation until you're in the show for a year. Mm. So I never took a vacation because they didn't last that long. <laughs> <laughs> Two, personal days didn't exist. They didn't exist. You had to be sick and dying before you could take <laughs> off. So that was the other thing. So when I, I guess when I got into In the Heights, because I had had a big space, one child rearing, and two, I was started to do plays, a lot of plays, mm -hmm. which I was dying to be a serious actress. That was the truth. I said, I've got to do my plays. So I had been away for a long time, and um, suddenly I, so I said, well, where's so-and-so? Oh, he took a personal day. I said, what? A personal, a personal day? What, what is that? Oh, well, you could take off. I said, really? Okay. So then, fast forward. Where's so-and-so? Oh, he took his vacation. Vacation? Well... We haven't been here for a year. <laughs> right. Oh, you could take a vacation every six months. You could take one week for six months, and then if you want, you know, six months later, you could take another. I go, really? <laughs> so, anyway, that was something that kind of shocked me, and I get it. Right. I get it. I mean, it's, you know, part of it is it's just a show, but I don't know. I That's what I came into, and right. I, and the only reason I took a vacation after about a year and a half being in in the Heights was because Mandy Gonzalez said, this is ridiculous. And she went downstairs and she signed me up for a vacation during Christmas, <laughs> like the second Christmas. And I went, okay. And I, I loved it. I went to London and spent time with my daughter and we went to Paris and yeah. we had a great time. <laughs> and the show went on and I came back and we did it some more. Right. So that's one of the things. Um, what do I hope for? Well, 
I don't, I don't think I have to hope for it. There will always be theater. There will always be theater. I mean, it's just innate in people's need to tell stories and, and do all the things you did as a kid, looking in the mirror and making believe. And we all want to make believe and we all have these hopes and dreams. And the day that doesn't happen, then there's no more earth, I don't think. There's no more human race because I think in spite of <laughs> what we're surrounded with nowadays, which is, and I truly believe in good and evil, which is a lot of evil, I am hopeful always that good is stronger and will wheel out and give us lessons of how dangerous evil is if we don't keep doing good, good, good. Mm. So I'm, I, with Nancy Pelosi, pray yes. for the good in humanity and to keep taking this human race forward to, you know, higher whatever levels. Mm. And if we don't individually as souls reach it in this plane, in this time, that my spirit will go and join whatever that energy is mm. and help create the good versus evil. <laughs> so I pray for good mm. and love. Mm. I think we all pray for good and love. Um, well, I know that you have to um, go, go off eat. to another event, <laughs> and uh, we want to we want to we want to let you out of here. Um, we have one very quick final question that we ask everyone that comes on the show, and that is how well, old I am. Twenty five. Twenty five. We've established that. Um, no, that question is: What was that thing that made you want to work in the theater? Oh. I was eight years old. Uh, my sister was graduating, like from junior high school. My mother was taking us to the movies. We were going to go see The King and I. I have to commit, I have to admit that she used to call me Little Hitler, so that'll give you a, an indication of who I was. And I used to, like, throw tantrums and throw myself on the ground. So I threw one of these tantrums, like, I don't want to go! I don't want to say this! Because somehow, I don't know why, she said king and I, and I went, I imagined, you know, and it wasn't even a king, but... Those, you know, those barristers in court, mm. they sit on those high pedestals and they wear the black robes, English, uh, yeah. and they've got the wigs. The wigs yeah. When she said King and I, that's what I saw in my head. I went, I don't want to see that. <laughs> Kicking and screaming, I went to see the King and I and I just about died. I was like, I mean, it was like somebody was hitting me over the head with, from that burgundy garb that he wears with all the gold spots on it, to his bald head, to her lavender dress that is wider than you could ever imagine with the puff sleeves and the king and the children. I mean, it made such an impression on me that I will never, ever, 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 ever forget it. And as a kid, I, I was eight years old, I probably saw it in the movies and I had to pay for it eight times, probably 25 cents, but I paid 25 cents eight times to see it, and I was just like, oh, my God. Mm. So that was the first time in terms of a musical, color, uh, dancing, love, trauma. I mean, it was just like everything. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being so generous thank with you. your time and for sharing your, your gifts with us over the years. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Rob here with You May Be Wondering. As you mentioned in her introduction and during our conversation with Priscilla Lopez, she won a Tony Award for her performance in A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine, a hit show from 1980 that is little remembered today. In fact, you may be wondering, just what is A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine? I've always been fascinated by it, too. The title alone is quite evocative. Well, as that title does suggest, the show itself consists of what are essentially two independent one-act plays. The first act, A Day in Hollywood, is a review of classic Hollywood songs of the 1930s, performed by singers and dancers representing ushers from Grauman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And the second act, A Night in the Ukraine, is loosely based on Anton Chekhov's one-act play, The Bear, but is presented in the style of a Marx Brothers movie, as Priscilla alluded to. The book and lyrics by Dick Vosberg and the music by Frank Lazarus are supplemented in Act 1 by a whole suite of songs by Richard Whiting, a prolific composer of popular movie music who penned such classics as Hooray for Hollywood, Ain't We Got Fun, and On the Good Ship Lollipop. The show started on the West End, where it had a modest run in 1979. Hopping across the Atlantic, director Tommy Toon took the helm and choreographed alongside Tommy Walsh, who was, as we mentioned, a fellow alumnus of the original cast of A Chorus Line with Priscilla. While out of town in Baltimore, Tommy Toon called up composer Jerry Herman to ask for an opening number about the movies. After Jerry said, sure, sounds like fun, Tommy informed him he needed it in 24 hours. So Jerry went to work using every old Hollywood image he could think of and delivered Just Go to the Movies on time. He went on to contribute one other song to the score. A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine opened on Broadway at the Golden Theater on May 1st, 1980, picked up nine Tony Award nominations and won two, Priscilla's Award for Best Featured Actress and Tony's for Tommy Toon and Tommy Walsh's choreography. The show then moved to the Royale Theater, today the Bernard Jacobs Theater, before closing in September 1981 after 588 performances. A great success in its time and, well, in any time. One particularly notable and clever number by Vosberg and Lazarus is Do in the Production Code, which was performed at the Tonys. A tap dance set mostly to the words of the infamous Motion Picture Production Code, which was a stringent set of moral guidelines that was applied to movies released by major studios from 1934 to 1968. For her part, Priscilla was one of those ushers in Act 1, and played the role of Harpo, as she mentioned, in that Act 2 take on Chekhov by the Marx Brothers. A clear star, she got rave reviews and, yes, won a Tony Award. If, like me, you love discovering old musicals forgotten by time, give a listen to the delightful cast album of A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine. And if you do so, be sure to listen for Priscilla Lopez's unmissable voice. Rob here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes. In this election year, are you looking to make a statement and make change? Well, check out Social Goods, an online store that offers a curated slate of statement-making merchandise that gives back to nonprofits, tackling some of today's most pressing issues, from every town for gun safety to Planned Parenthood of New York, the Special Olympics, and more. Best of all, we've partnered with Social Goods to offer a special discount for listeners of The Fabulous Invalid. Go to social-goods.com and use the code FAB15 at checkout to receive 15% off your first order. That's Social Goods, where every transaction comes with real action. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. 
And a very special thanks, as always, to Orso for hosting us tonight. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.